seat. Amen. What a God we serve. Right on? I think he's a hunter. He comes after us with a zeal, which is awesome, which is lovely. Well, welcome to church, folks. My name's Pastor Roger, and I'm so glad that you're here assembled today or that you're listening online on our website, centenaroad.com, or on Facebook, or a podcast. I think we're back to Kojiko uh, this fall as well, so welcome, glad you're here. I am so excited about this fall semester. We sang, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And even though you can't clap on two and four, I know it's a I think we have cause to rejoice even on this side of eternity. Thank God for that. Amen? Next weekend, for instance, one 10 a.m. service for our community fun fest. I'm so excited we get to celebrate connecting with our community and with each other. You've got invitations, so be sure to invite somebody. There are probably extras for you to pick up. Uh, be sure and invite people this week. And that's going to lead us into our fall series, Unshakable thriving no matter what hits you. This is an eight-week group connection uh, where weekly meetings explore the Sunday teaching. We are all about where love meets purpose, where God's love meets his purpose for us. I want to report on yesterday's event, Our Closet to Yours. Andrea Shoup emailed me the stats last night and she wrote this, the joy in the people was amazing. So many heartwarming moments. Our volunteers sorted over five tons of clothing over the last several weeks. Yeah, amen, amen. That was over 500 large garbage bags of clothing. Um, of that five tons, we collected 403 coats and jackets for uh, men, women, and children, 290 pairs of kids' shoes and boots. Uh, yesterday, 442 people came to the event, which is 100 more than last year. That's awesome. The word is getting out. 200 people were here within the first two minutes of the door opening, and it was 300 within the first half hour. Over 425 bags of clothing were given away to the people who attended. And then the leftovers, three bags to the snowsuit fund, three bags to local schools, a bag of t-shirts and dresses to the Ghana ministry, hope for the homeless, St. Lawrence College students got the scrubs, uh, employment and education center, the Ottawa shoe bank, just it went where it needed to go. And so um, there's a quote here from three of the children, the most delicious cake we ever had. It was lovingly baked and served throughout the morning. So there are lots more pictures and uh, testimonies on Facebook. So uh, have a look at that. And thank you, Pascal, and her amazing team of volunteers. That was incredible. Amen. It's a wonderful way to connect and serve our community. So every weekend, it seems, we have been asking for help with this or that. Of course, we've got our community fun fest next weekend. We need a couple more people to set up and tear down. Or we've been talking about our big city prep for the play structure. Well, I figure there's almost 500 of you, and so if, let's say, 10 different people respond to each ask, we spread the work around and everybody is contributing to the work of God's kingdom through the ministries at Sea Road. So thank you so much for answering the call. I so appreciate it. And this is wonderful because it helps us fulfill our mission to get connected. 
to show genuine love for our community and for each other. And for me, it's a perfect example of what I'm calling proof of love. This is my message title today to conclude our Get Connected series, Proof of Love. Now, you may have heard the term proof of life. The Urban Dictionary explains it this way, evidence indicating that a victim of a kidnapping is alive. Typically, a ransom demand will not be paid until there is confirmation that the hostage is still alive. That's proof of life. Usually in the form of a photograph with the victim holding up a current copy of a newspaper. Proof of life is evidence. So proof of love is a play on this phrase that would also indicate evidence. And in order to have a healthy community, I think there must be proof of love. And I am confident that our look at Romans chapter 12 can help us in that regard. Now, last weekend, Pastor Hannah took us through the first half of uh, Romans chapter 12. And as a very quick overview, she explained the value of what it would look like if our attitudes aligned with our actions. And as we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, this is not only a spiritual act of worship, but also a rational act of worship, linking worship to moral behavior. God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is that we, as a corporate body, plural, all of us together, offer ourselves to God's kingdom work and transformation of our minds. Togetherness is best fostered through groups. You would have that in your hand. God is interested in church, family, and connection. And whatever gift we have, and there are a bunch listed in Romans chapter 12, regardless of whatever gift you have, use it. Use it for God's kingdom. Now, Pastor Hannah, she had quoted Dr. Elizabeth Shively from the University of St. Andrews, who wrote this. Worship happens in community as we live out our faith by serving one another to build up the body of Christ. The quality of our worship is not measured by what happens on only Sunday mornings, but by what happens when we're together Monday through Saturday. And so all those volunteers who had sorted clothes these last several weeks, the people who've climbed ladders to sand drywall, the volunteers who have primed and painted various walls throughout this building, when we are working together, we're actually serving the kingdom of God because this building and the activities that we engage in are dedicated to pointing people to a relationship with Jesus Christ. So host homes and people venturing forward to facilitate conversations about faith, they're serving the kingdom of God. Paul the Apostle was doing that in first century, and Christians are commanded to do that throughout all of history. We follow Christ's directive regarding the Great Commission to go and make disciples. Paul was also following that directive, and he taught people that the way to do it was with love. And so proof of love looks like this in the rest of Romans chapter 12. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Love has got to be genuine. One author puts it this way, genuine love is the deepest theme in this section 
of Romans. Now, at a more surface level, there is a theme of good and evil that operates throughout the text. Notice how hate what is evil, cling to what is good, follows immediately after the opening title of love must be sincere. And then the good and evil theme is explicitly mentioned at the end of the text. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. We have what I call bookends. Hate evil and love good are our bookends. So sincere love, genuine love, it works as a remedy against evil. But genuine love, it isn't just flowery or passive. Genuine love is actually aggressive and it's active. Hate what is evil. Overcome evil. Those are fighting words. Cling to what is good. Overcome evil with good. For me, it's very action-oriented and it reminds me of a relentless hero in an action movie, a determined father hunting for his kidnapped child, kind of like Liam Neeson in Taken, if you know that movie. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. Love is active. Our great shepherd Jesus, he left the 99 to go after that one that was lost. Love is active. So when we show love in our community, it is action-packed. It is weeks of preparation. It's sign up to set up at FunFest. It's advertising. It's getting the word out that we are doing something special to show the love of Jesus to our community, not just because we want to have a fun party. It's about showing the love of Jesus. Genuine love goes after what is good and it crushes evil in its wake. One author says this, genuine love is not just being nice to people. Genuine love has a moral orientation toward the good. When we show love towards someone, we are moving them toward God's goodness. To love someone is not simply to cater to specific likes and dislikes of that person. It is rather to act toward them in ways that help them experience more of God's goodness. So when we read in Romans 12, love must be sincere, this means to love others authentically and genuinely. And Paul is saying that to love genuinely is basically to love as Jesus loved. And it's not just love people better, love people more. It's not a general statement. He describes very specific behaviors for loving others. So one author uses a marathon analogy. Let me help you out with that. Good marathon runners, they don't just play general messages in their mind when they're running, like stay loose or, you know, relax. Uh, while they're running, they play actually very specific messages in their brain depending on what their need is. So I asked Pastor Justin about this. He is a marathon runner, and he says, yeah, it's true. He says, for me, I have to keep saying, keep my back straight. Other runners, keep my shoulders down. Uh, feel the looseness in my fingers. Don't clench your jaw. These specific messages help their whole body to relax and stay loose, and that way they run the race 
well. Well, it's the same with Paul's ideas for genuine love in Romans chapter 12. He is giving us very specific ideas for authentic love. So to exhibit proof of love or to run this race of faith well, we have some very specific guidelines to help us succeed. Thank God for that. Thank God he inspired Paul to give us these specific guidelines to help us succeed. So the words genuine love are in Greek literally translated non-hypocritical love. Genuine love does not say one thing and then do another. Mark Reasoner uh, from Bethel University in St. Paul says this, as we look at this passage, we will see genuine love in action to number one, the family of God, number two, humanity in general, and number three, even to our enemies. Romans 12 is all about developing the mind of Christ and showing what the will of God is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so for category number one, proof of love for the family of God. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. This is to be kindly affectioned. That should be the norm. That should be the nature of our relationship with one another, that we are kindly affectioned to each other. I just saw David there, and the, the handshake he taught me, kindly affection in our love for one another. The root of kindly is kin. So in other words, we are to love one another as a family. And last weekend, I think, you know, we sang that uh, old song, We Are One in the Spirit. And when we sang verse 2, we will walk with each other, we will walk hand in hand. I saw someone place their hand on the back um, of her friend beside her. And for me, that was uh, an example of what I'm preaching about today, being devoted to one another. In that case, it was in sisterly love. But there's another term that's used in this verse that also indicates family love, and it's the word Philadelphia which means brotherly love. And that's why we call the city, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This word is the combination of two Greek words, phylos, meaning love, and adelphos, meaning brother. So Paul is teaching us that we've got to be devoted to each other. And the next few verses, of course, offer more specifics. Let's look at the second half of verse 10. Honor one another above yourselves. So what does that look like? to set aside our preferences, to cater to the preferences of others, maybe. Jesus was talking about taking the more uh, lowly seat at the table rather than going to the head of the table. Now, how many of us would give up our seat, give up your favored chair here in the auditorium or perhaps in the boulevard um, for someone? You know, oh, I'm going to move from here to here to free up some viable real estate, you know, precious real estate. Honor one another above ourselves. Now, how many of us would honor others by reducing our uh, cologne or perfume application? <laughs> I have walked through our hospitality boulevard sometimes and walked through a cloud of Chanel number no. nine or other such fragrance and looked around looking for the culprit and not finding the person thinking well I know they've been here I love wearing cologne I, I do but 
because I know that we have people who have very adverse reactions, I actually reduce my use. How do you like that phrase? I made that one up myself. Reduce my use. That is honoring one another above ourselves. Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. The Wesleyan Bible commentary explains this to mean boiling. The spiritual temperature is to be high in the Christian community. No wishy-washy Christianity here. Let us be characterized by zeal for our Jesus. Amen? Oh, thank you, brother. Oh. I keep thinking I would love to bring up some Southern Baptists into our church and get some, some loud amens going. Verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Proof of love is evidenced in community in how we react to one another. So when one member has one reason to hope, well, be joyful with them. And when they're suffering affliction, be patient with them. And when they need prayer, be faithful to pray with them and for them. Raise a hallelujah on their behalf. And in the final verse uh, in this category of proof of love for God's family, it's verse 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now, in the context in which Paul writes, this meant to devote oneself to entertaining them when they were strangers. It is a form of charity much needed by traveling, exiled, or persecuted Christians. Now, for the modern day, if you know people who have been ostracized by society, or perhaps they are ignored by their family, or they're at odds with their family, or maybe life is just beating them up, Share with them that are in need. Be community to them. Next, we get into category number two. Proof of love for humanity in general. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. We are called to love all people in general, even those who are jerks to us. We are to bless everyone. Bless them and do not curse them. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. So even when those in the world who aren't particularly kind to us, when they encounter joys in life, rejoice with them. And when they encounter sadness in life, mourn with them. Do not be mad when good things happen to them. Nor don't be glad when bad things happen to them. Proof of love extends to those that we even, that are hard to love, you know, that we'd rather not love. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So it seems to me that harmonious living is marked by humility by not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. Now, as a musician, I love language that borrows from the music world. And the best harmonies result when each of the vocalists are really listening 
to each other. They're really listening well. They're actually concentrating on what the other person is singing in order to offer a complimentary note. So living in harmony with one another requires that same type of close attention, really listening to the concerns of our neighbors. That is proof of love to humanity in general. And the final category is showing love to actual enemies. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Christians are not to be in the business of revenge. Everyone is watching. Do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Jesus said this in the Gospel of Luke, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Jesus is looking for us to exhibit remarkable behavior. Verse 31, do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Jesus is asking us to go beyond the norm, above and beyond. Verse 35. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Now, Jesus wasn't advocating for victimization here. He's advocating for boldness. He's advocating for remarkable living, for something so radically different than what our enemies would expect, kindness to the ungrateful. We sang earlier, one day when sin was black as could be, Jesus came forth. He dwelt among men, my example is he. Living he loved me, dying he saved me. And when we are like Jesus, when we die to self, that proof of love could actually lead someone to salvation. Now, if someone slapped me in the face, my natural reaction would be to punch them. Punch them back, punch them hard. My supernatural reaction would be to stand tall, refrain from retaliation, and my hope would be that this reaction of mercy would speak to them. And that perhaps even as they examined the mark of their hand on my face, that it would be a witness of God's forgiving love. That would be a supernatural reaction. <laughs> that is my hope. I have another hope that it never happens, that I'll never be <laughs> tested in that regard. 
verse 18. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We cannot control other people's actions and reactions. Of course, we can only control our own. Now, with some people, it may prove impossible to have peace in that relationship. However, we can still be blameless so that the lack of peace is not our fault. We can be peaceable even if we can't have peace. It depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. And I hope that this helps some of you who I know are facing some seemingly impossible circumstances. Be strengthened in Jesus' name. And verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. So I have saved the best for last. The most uh, complicated, the most controversial, because it just seems so opposite, right? Don't take revenge. Let God do it. <laughs> what? What kind of God do we serve? Maybe he's a little more Old Testament still than we actually uh, think these days. Some of us are adverse to heaping burning coals upon someone's head. In fact, we use phrases like, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. We say those things. So now our loving, merciful God is going to avenge? And how does giving our enemies food and drink accomplish that? One historian says, this passage is simply stating that acts of kindness done to your enemy shame him and bring him to a place of repentance. The meaning of heaping burning coals on his head refers to the burning pain of shame and remorse which the man feels whose hostility is repaid by love. Burning coals were a metaphor for keen anguish. And St. Augustine said this, we should incite those who have hurt us to repentance by doing them good. And this view, it corresponds to an ancient Egyptian custom. When a person wanted to demonstrate public contrition, he would carry on his head a pan of burning coals to represent the burning pain of his shame and guilt. So research is a way to uncomplicate a seemingly complicated passage. So I ask you, do you have enemies? And do you want to be rid of them? Well, try showing some kindness to them. Then maybe not only will you have gotten rid of an enemy, but you may have gained a friend. And oddly enough, this very thing happened in my life when I was a boy. My brother and I were walking home from school one day. He's my, he was my little brother. And someone in his class, a new kid, was bothering him, was picking on him and bullying him, and Dan was planning his revenge. And so as we walked home from school, he started to unpack what he was going to do, and uh, I was thinking, you know what, 
you're going to be with that guy for the next couple years. I, we lived in the suburbs. We went to this tiny little school. Those guys were going to be stuck together for several years. And I just said, you know, I'm like 11 years old, 12 years old. I don't, something like that. He's younger than me. And, and um, I just said, why don't you talk to him and see if you can maybe make him your friend? Well, he did, and it worked. They became friends. And this is just an elementary school example of a biblical concept that I really didn't know about at the time. I just thought it'd be smart. So proof of love is refined in community as we talk about things and we do life together. So following Pastor Hannah's lead from last week, I want you all to take out your group's card and pamphlet right now. I hope you have it. Oh, some do. Many don't. Oh, on your way out, you got to pick this up. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to think about the group that best fits your schedule and fill in the red if you're ready. Tanya last week said red if, if you want to be fed, red to be fed. We thought that was good too. Uh, fill that in, place it in the basket on the exit or the welcome desk, or if you need a little more time to think about it, there is, a, you can apply online as well. Proof of love is refined in community as we talk together. Let us help each other. Let's help each other. Love the family of God. Love humanity in general. And love even our enemies. Amen? And you can um, invite some family. Or invite a part of humanity, someone you know. Invite an enemy. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we want to love well. We want to live well in community with each other. We want to live well with our world. So help us. Help us in our homes and in our workplaces, in our schools, and when we visit friends and family. Let our love be sincere and May we overcome evil with good. May your blessing rest on our groups and on our group leaders and on all the participants that this fall may be characterized by meaningful community and genuine love. In Jesus' name I pray. <laughs>